Welcome to Season 2 of Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're discussing breast reconstruction or rebuilding of the breast after cancer. In this episode, we'll talk about the importance of breast reconstruction and the decisions to be made, and we'll also go over how you make a breast and trends for breast and nipple reconstruction. Also, what to do with the opposite breast, what to expect afterwards, and complicating factors to know about. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead, you can use it to gain insight, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. may be hard to believe, but statistics at the time of this recording show that one in eight women will develop breast cancer. Ugh. And actually, 1% of all breast cancers occur in men. But today we're focusing on breast reconstruction for females. Now, not every breast cancer patient requires a full mastectomy, meaning removal of the entire breast. But for those who do, breast reconstruction can be an important part of the healing process. But reconstructing a breast can be challenging it usually cannot recreate the exact same breast that a person had before, and there are limits to what can be done. But it has come a long way, and there are actually cases where patients found they looked better than before, especially if they felt they were way too big or way too small or, dare I say, too saggy to begin with. You might be surprised to hear that historically, breast reconstruction was not always as available as it is today. Back in the day, the breast was not thought to be an important part of a woman's body or mental health, and therefore insurance companies didn't believe reconstruction was a necessary endeavor. They considered it purely cosmetic. And some physicians worried reconstruction was not advisable because they thought it might hinder further detection of cancer, though this has now largely been refuted. But there has been historical progress. We all owe a big thank you to those who years ago pushed for federal legislation to require insurance companies to cover this important treatment and all of the ancillary procedures that go along with it. The Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act, or Janet's Law, was passed in 1998, and it specified that any group insurance that covers mastectomies will also have to cover reconstruction of the breast mound, as well as nipple reconstruction and opposite breast surgery for symmetry. This is truly a comfort for women with diagnosis of breast cancer going through such a difficult ordeal to know that breast reconstruction is not only an option, but a right. But really, how important is breast reconstruction? Well, it can impact a woman's life through three aspects, psychological, aesthetic, and social. All of these relate to both our self-image and to how others react to us. We want to feel normal again. But women, like humans in general, are all different. Some may not feel the need or desire for reconstruction, yet some can be deeply psychologically affected by the loss of one or both breasts. An example of such comes to mind. A patient I had years ago. She had undergone bilateral, meaning both sides, mastectomies, and never had reconstruction. She was one of those people always doing things for her family and for others, but never herself. The cancer and the loss of her breasts affected her self-image and her relationship with her husband, who was not really a very emotional guy. They never talked about it. 
but at some point her daughter-in-law convinced her to undergo reconstruction. And the main reason she remains prominent in my memory is that she absolutely transformed after surgery. You know when you hear someone blossoms after some event in their life? Well, she epitomized that. She said she finally felt like a woman again, and she didn't realize how much the absence of breasts had psychologically affected so many aspects of her life. There can also be practical or social benefits to reconstruction. Having lost one or both breasts can impact the fitting of clothes, creating yet one more difficulty to deal with in the aftermath of having cancer. Sure, you could use a breast prosthesis, which is kind of like a fake breast, to try to solve this problem, but many women complain that these are heavy and that they risk popping out of a bra at inopportune times. Imagine the extra vigilance required just to go swimming. Furthermore, with one or both breasts gone, a woman's usual balance and posture can be affected, leading to even more difficulties. Various patients may be affected in different ways. Some have had a pretty rough time getting through the cancer recovery and reconstruction process. Though, I've had some previously shy and modest patients who flaunt their reconstruction afterwards, showing their progress, if you will, to supportive friends. A couple of patients have even chosen whimsical tattooed butterflies or flowers in place of nipple reconstruction. There's something about going through the harrowing process of conquering cancer and then the process of breast reconstruction that can, for some, bring out the resilience and zest for life that seems to be within all of us, awaiting to emerge, almost like a rebirth. Now, certainly, if just a lumpectomy is being done, meaning only an involved segment of one breast is removed, the remainder of the breast can be reshaped to correct any lost contour, and that's still considered reconstruction. But in this episode, we're mainly focused on full breast reconstruction after a full mastectomy. And by the way, the majority of cases, a general surgeon would do the breast removal for cancer, and then the plastic surgeon would perform the reconstruction, though other scenarios do exist. So once a person receives a breast cancer diagnosis, in addition to the various specialties of doctors they are advised to visit, there is often a consultation with a plastic surgeon. This, of course, does not mean that they are compelled to undergo reconstruction, but it's important they at least learn about it and the various options. Several decisions need to be made. These include whether to even reconstruct or not, and whether this will be a one-side or both-side mastectomy. Actually, this particular decision is typically made with the general surgeon. Also, whether the reconstruction will be immediate or delayed, meaning it would be at least started at the time of breast removal, or would it be delayed until, say, after chemotherapy or for some other reason? Also, will it be an implant reconstruction or autologous reconstruction, which we'll talk about shortly? And if it is an implant reconstruction, will it be done in one stage or two stages? All right, I'm sure you're wondering after all of this, how do you make a breast? Well, there are two main categories of reconstructive techniques. And basically, they are reconstruction using implants or reconstruction using autologous tissues, which means using your own body's tissues. And sometimes there's actually a combination of the two methods of reconstruction. Now for implant reconstruction, the implants used are similar to those in a breast augmentation or breast enlargement. If there's enough extra skin left over after the mastectomy, then the implant could be placed in a one-stage procedure all at once. But more commonly, there may not be enough skin left over, at least to make the size breast desired, and to completely cover the implant. 
The general surgeon who performs the mastectomy will decide how much skin to take away based on the risk of cancer recurrence. So plastic surgeons follow their lead and reconstruct with whatever is left behind. In the case where there isn't enough skin to fully cover an implant, commonly something called a tissue expander would be used to bridge the gap. That makes the reconstruction process become a two-staged one. In the first stage, the tissue expander is placed and the overlying skin is closed up. A tissue expander is just what it sounds like. It expands or stretches the overlying tissue, tissue meaning flesh, and basically this is a deflated balloon that's put into the breast cavity after the breast is removed, and it can either be placed underneath or on top of the pectoralis muscle in the chest. Your plastic surgeon would make that final recommendation based on your anatomy. There is a special port embedded or attached to the balloon which sits under the skin and can be accessed with a needle and syringe after numbing up. Each week in a surgeon's office, the balloon is filled with more saline, kind of like IV fluid or sometimes just with air, until the desired size is eventually reached. This way the skin is gradually stretched over time to help make a new covering which will support the size of the future implant. This gradual expansion process also allows for the patient to have input in terms of how large the breast becomes. Then the patient will later undergo the second stage surgery, which is typically a smaller procedure. I usually waited at least two months after the last expansion in the office before doing this second surgery to give the skin time to relax and a better chance to stay soft after this next stage. When it's time for the second stage surgery, here's what happens. The fully inflated tissue expander is removed and it is replaced with a permanent implant which can be silicone or saline and can be shaped in a teardrop or a round configuration. By the way, if you want to know more about implant choices, take a listen to the informative earlier episodes number four and five of this podcast. Also at the time of the second procedure, any adjustments or fine tuning of the breast shape would be performed. Now, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about something called ADM, which stands for acellular dermal matrix, and it's often used in an implant reconstruction. It is a wonderfully flexible but fibrous and strong structure, almost like a fabric, that can be stitched inside the reconstructed breast to help cover the implant and keep it in place, kind of like an internal bra. So essentially, it helps control the future breast shape. It's also been used for hernia repairs and has many other surgical applications as well. But the amazing thing is that the ADM is biologic, meaning it comes from a human or even an animal, yet it's sterilely processed to remove the cells and reduce infection risk. In my experience, ADM has dramatically improved the outcome of implant reconstruction. It's been a game changer for the beauty and stability of final results. Now let's look at the other main type of breast reconstruction, and that is the use of autologous tissues, most commonly in the form of what's called a flap, F-L-A-P. Essentially, reconstruction with a flap involves moving tissue from another part of the body into the breast cavity, where the breast used to be, to make a new breast. Now a flap, to be basic, is a hunk of layered tissue, usually skin and fat, with or without some attached muscle, and all still connected together. A flap has its own blood supply and brings the volume or fullness needed to make a breast. But if you just tried to make a breast out of some random tissue without blood supply, it would be called a graft and it would be too thick and big to survive on its own. 
So there are two options to preserve blood supply. One is that a flap could be lifted up and left attached to the body by one tether point and then rotated into the breast area which is nearby. That tether point would contain blood vessels to provide the blood supply. This type of flap is called a pedicle flap and the point of attachment is usually a muscle which typically has a very nice blood supply. So a pedicle flap cannot come from too far away since it needs to stay attached at some point. Alternatively, the flap could be completely detached from the body, especially if it's coming from a farther away body part, and then reconnected to blood vessels in the breast area to start the blood supply again. This type of flap is called a free flap or a free tissue transfer. Free meaning separated at one time and then reattached. A microscope has to be used to sew the small arteries and veins together in order to start the blood flow back into the flap. As you can imagine, it's a more complicated procedure, but it can be very rewarding when it goes well. Now examples of a pedicle or attached flap would be a TRAM, which stands for Transverse Rectus Abdominis Myocutaneous Flap, which comes from this rectus muscle in the abdomen and is moved up to the breast area, almost like having a tummy tuck, but not quite as cosmetically oriented. Another example is a latissimus muscle flap from the back. It's got some nice length to it, so it can be tunneled through the armpit to get to the right position for the breast. Now examples of a free flap include transferring layered tissue from the abdomen, hip, buttock, and even inner thigh. You may have heard of the deep flap, the D-I-E-P, which comes from the abdomen but doesn't sacrifice muscle like a tram would. So, now you've heard about the two main types of reconstruction, namely implant reconstruction and autologous tissue reconstruction, but how does one choose? Well, this is where the expertise of your plastic surgeon is crucial. As a patient, you definitely have a say in your reconstruction, but your surgeon will help guide you and narrow down the choices based on your individual anatomy and health situation. However, there are some general pros and cons that could be helpful for you to know. Some implant pros. This technique requires the least downtime. Also, you haven't burned a bridge if it fails, meaning you can still fall back on doing a flap if you had to. It's also easier to get pretty good symmetry in bilateral, meaning both sides, reconstruction if you're using implants. And if a second stage surgery is required, it actually allows a surgical opportunity to make adjustments and shape refinement while you're there. Implant cons. Well, this method often requires two stages, though increasingly we are seeing more and more single stage or what's called direct to implant reconstructions these days. It often depends on the starting anatomy and a few other factors. Another con for those who are bothered by the thought of this is it involves something foreign to the body, namely the implant. What about flap pros? Well, theoretically, no foreign substance is involved, though often it is actually needed. It can possibly be done in one stage. And if there has been damaged or scarred skin in the chest area, such as from radiation, a flap brings healthy, non-radiated tissue into the area. And we'll talk about the implications of radiation a little more coming up. Some flap cons. Well, flaps may sometimes require a foreign substance. Some examples are using a mesh structure for closing up the abdominal wall after a tram to help avoid pooching or development of a hernia since some muscle supporting the abdomen has been harvested for the flap. Second, often a small implant is needed in addition to a pedicle latissimus flap from the back because the flap alone does not bring in enough volume of tissue to make a full breast. 
Another flap con is that there will be an additional wound to heal from the donor site, and sometimes it's a bigger deal than the breast healing. That may increase downtime and recovery. And therefore, there's also an increased risk of complications from a bigger surgery, and of course, more scars. By the way, there is another type of autologous reconstruction, which we haven't yet discussed, and that is fat grafting. It involves harvesting some excess fat wherever it might be in the body, typically through liposuction, and then transferring it to the breast area to try to create a breast shape. There are limitations, however, because you can only transfer so much fat at a time. If too much is clumped together in the new breast, it may not survive. So it's not uncommon to have to do this fat grafting sequentially, in stages, with up to three, four, or more sessions. Because of that, fat grafting is actually more commonly used as more of a refinement and touch-up tool to round out and improve the breast, whether it was reconstructed with implants or with autologous tissue. By the way, there will be a future episode of this podcast dedicated to fat grafting, so we can delve into it a little bit more at that time. Now I want to tell you about some of the trends we've seen over the last several years. More and more people seem to be undergoing immediate reconstruction, again meaning starting at least the first stage of reconstruction, at the same time as the mastectomies are performed. This is as opposed to a delayed reconstruction, which means letting the initial breast removal heal up and then later embarking on reconstruction. Additionally, we've definitely seen more bilateral, again meaning both sides, mastectomies and reconstructions, and less and less unilateral, meaning just one side. This doesn't necessarily mean that there was cancer on both sides, but many women are undergoing prophylactic or preventative breast removal on the opposite side. This is particularly true if there is a genetic tendency for breast cancer. Some patients are having both breasts removed and reconstructed before they develop cancer. Years ago, there seemed to be some trending away from implants, but now it's back to implant reconstruction being probably the most common type. I think a lot of this has to do with better advances in implant size and shape choices, as well as the advent of the ADM I talked about earlier, which helps greatly with refinement of shape. But in recent years, there have also been better autologous flap advances with streamlining of technique and management, leading to greater success in flap survival. There's really no right or wrong here, but decisions are ultimately made with the guidance of the plastic surgeon, who keeps each patient's individual needs paramount. All right, we've covered how to make a breast pretty well. But say we only had to reconstruct one breast, which is called a unilateral reconstruction. What do we do about the opposite breast? Most times, women want symmetry. Although there are occasional patients who really don't want to deal with the other breast at all, and they're less concerned about its appearance or symmetry. But despite much you might think, it's very difficult to make a single reconstructed breast look exactly like the remaining breast, though sometimes we can come pretty close. It's actually easier to make a reconstructed breast look like a nice breast and then modify the opposite breast to look more like the reconstructed one. That might involve breast reduction, if the opposite side is too large to begin with, or it might actually just involve a breast lift, which means tightening up skin only and not removing any excess breast tissue. Now on occasion, the opposite breast may be too small, and we can't reconstruct a breast to be quite that little, so a small implant is beneficial for the other breast to increase it to the size of the reconstructed one. The timing of treatment of the opposite breast really depends on the overall situation. If this was going to be a two-stage implant reconstruction, the opposite breast would typically be treated at the time of the second stage. 
But otherwise, for a single-stage implant reconstruction or even a flap reconstruction, the opposite breast procedure could be done right from the start if desired. And I'll quickly add another scenario you may not have thought about. I have had the occasional patient who had a mastectomy on one side and chose not to have reconstruction, but the opposite breast was so large that having only one breast was really throwing off balance, and we ended up doing a breast reduction on that opposite breast just to help keep balance. So while we did not reconstruct the originally removed breast, we did do opposite breast surgery. Okay, now what about nipple reconstruction? Did you know you could even do that? And do you need to do it? Well, if the reconstruction was done after the general surgeon performed what's called a nipple sparing mastectomy, meaning the nipple was not removed with the breast, then no, you would not need to reconstruct a nipple because you've still got one. But only a certain subset of patients are candidates for nipple sparing mastectomy. Otherwise, for the average mastectomy, the nipple is actually removed in conjunction with the breast. So, nipple reconstruction is usually done as the very last stage or procedure for optimal positioning. Think about it. You want everything to heal and settle in its final position before you decide where the nipple goes. Now, not every patient wants a nipple reconstruction. Some feel it's not necessary since it can't be a functional nipple. But I can tell you, for many patients, there is a certain psychological benefit from their observation of a nipple. Say, if they happen to quickly pass by a mirror after getting out of the shower, for example. This cursory mental registering of a nipple being there can be subconsciously soothing and feel more natural. Therefore, for those who do want a nipple, there are a few choices. Commonly, a nipple is created out of what we call local tissues, meaning skin and a little bit of fat that is just right in the area where we want the nipple to be. We can typically elevate a very small flap of this tissue and wrap it upon itself, stitching it in place in such a way to create a projecting cone or column. Then the entire area can be tattooed for proper coloration of the areola. But increasingly, 3D tattoos have become a nice option for nipple reconstruction. It's actually quite amazing what can be done with shadowing techniques for tattoos. They look very realistic. And there's an added benefit for some women who don't like to have a projecting nipple all the time. They may prefer something that looks like a projecting nipple when viewed straight on, but it is flat when viewed from above and doesn't show in clothing. As for timing, there is no endpoint for nipple reconstruction. A patient could hold off for the time being and at a much later date come back and decide to go ahead with it. Luckily, it's one of the shortest procedures to undergo in terms of actual time for the creation, as well as for the healing, and it's usually done in the office. Length of postoperative recovery and downtime are quite varied, frankly because the options for reconstruction are varied. In general, implant surgeries are thought to be faster to recover from as compared to flap surgeries, mostly because of the additional healing of the donor site, meaning where the flap was taken from. So, inherently, there could be a longer recovery, especially if there was muscle harvested with the flap. For example, an implant surgery might be recovered after two to four weeks, yet a pedicle tram flap may take six to eight weeks. But again, several of these options have more than one stage planned. So even if each stage does not take that long to recover, the total all-in reconstructive time, again depending upon how ambitious, could take anywhere from a couple of months to a year or more. And with all of these planned procedures and stages, the need for and timing of radiation and chemotherapy may produce delays that are unpredictable in length. So the bottom line is, expect delays and try to be psychologically prepared for them. 
And hey, what about follow-up mammograms? Some experts feel a mammogram on a reconstructed breast is not needed if there is no residual breast tissue left behind. But the best answer here is that there should be a discussion between the patient, the surgeon, and the oncologist or cancer doctor. Physical exam may be enough to provide surveillance for any recurrence of cancer in the skin or on the chest wall, but in some cases, an MRI or an ultrasound could be helpful as well. Some relative risk factors to consider. Age. A person at any age could be a candidate for reconstruction. I recall my oldest reconstruction patient was in her 80s. But it is true that the older we get, the more challenging a surgery and recovery can be. Obesity. Being considerably overweight may affect the viability or survival rate of a flap that is used for reconstruction. Too much fat in that region may mean decreased blood supply, and some of the fatty tissue can thicken or harden, called fat necrosis. Or in the worst case scenario, the entire flap could die. That means starting over with a different method for reconstruction, such as an implant. Smoking. Smoking reduces the oxygen flow in the tissues, which can be a critical danger for flap tissue that is brought into the reconstructive breast or tissue trying to cover an implant. Smoking can, as they say, kill a flap, and there are some surgeons who will not even perform a reconstructive procedure on a patient who is still actively smoking. Other medical problems. These can generally increase the risk of overall complications and should be discussed during consultation. Now, other factors to consider in the entire reconstruction process are the possible need for radiation and chemotherapy. Radiation is a great tool to combat cancer, but it will result in some permanent changes to the targeted tissues, such that the wounds may not heal as well and radiated skin may not stretch as well. Therefore, planned radiation could impact the decisions about the type of reconstruction and the timing. Similarly, chemotherapy is a great tool to combat cancer, but it can impact tissue healing and decrease the body's ability to fight infection. So it also must be factored into the planning and timing of reconstruction. Here's where collaborative input from the oncologist or cancer doctor can be extremely helpful. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground today. In summary, I'd like to leave you with three thoughts. Number one, Breast reconstruction can be a wonderful tool to help reestablish a person's self-image and enhance quality of life. Number two, it's important to recognize that often more than one surgery is involved and the entire process may be a bit of an endurance test for some. Part of the key to success is mindset and being flexible with expectations of results and of timing. And number three, fortunately there are multiple options for reconstruction available but many factors must be considered in order to select the right one. Since each patient's needs are individual, a custom solution will be tailored to those specific needs by the plastic surgeon who has your best interest at heart. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.